Lord, speak to me, that I may speak. Those words are 150 years old, written by a woman named Frances Havergal. And it's one of my favorite hymns. There isn't a week that goes by where I don't sing that hymn or at least recite that hymn when I'm thinking about sermon preparation, when I think about this moment each week in our assembly. But it's that first line that I'd really like us to pay attention to because it it really sets the tone, it really frames the sermon, and also it frames the series, just thinking back to it. Lord, speak to me that I may speak in living echoes of thy tone. So a few weeks ago, I started this series called uh, Crucial Conversations. And the first lesson was called The King's Speech. And it was built on the, a sermon passage from Ephesians, Paul's letter to the people of Ephesus in chapter 4, where Paul uses some baptismal language to talk about the new life we have in Christ. We put on the new self, he says. We're created after the likeness of God. And right after Paul says this, he starts to talk about our speech. And he begins to talk about the ways that we speak to one another. God is doing some amazing things in this world. He is saving us. He's transforming us, even and maybe even especially in the way we talk to one another. We speak as the king speaks. And this is really foundational and one of the reasons why we pay close attention to what we call crucial conversations. Tools for talking when the stakes are high. So we've been working through this this series, and as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to pay careful attention to the way that we speak. Because of all people in the world, Christians should be at the forefront in using their words well. And this really becomes a time of testing for us when we enter into what we call crucial conversations. Now, what is a crucial conversation? Well, it's not your everyday run-of-the-mill conversation. It's not small talk. We do that well. It's easy to do. But crucial conversations have three elements. There has to be opposing opinions. The stakes have to be high. The emotions have to run strong. Do we have that conversation, those types of conversations in our minds? Well, just by way of review, whenever we enter into these types of conversations, when the emotions come up and the heat is turned up, so often we handle these poorly. And one of the reasons is because whenever we feel threatened, we go back to our our instincts, fight or flight. Either we're going to fight our way out of a corner, which in conversations looks like anger and name-calling and making stuff up on the fly, or we retreat and we give in to silence, we flee. But Paul calls on the church to speak differently. And this is why we're going through this this study, Crucial Conversations. This is a book, this is based on a book written by four different authors, and it's not a book written from a Christian perspective, and yet it is, because these authors are trying to help us do the same thing that Paul's trying to get the churches to do. And that is to speak the truth in love. And to hold those in tension. To use the king's speech, our Lord Jesus Christ. We are, on the one hand, truth tellers. 
and on the other hand, we are grace givers. And we think about how Jesus held those two tensions in perfect balance in his ministry. Well, how do we do this? Well, admittedly, this series is much more about a mindset than it is about specific techniques. And really, it's my hope that if you find yourself on the wrong side of these crucial conversations, you find yourself handling these conversations poorly, it's my hope and my prayer that you will want to explore this further. And there are books written, there are courses on conflict resolution, uh, there are videos about how to talk to one another in God-honoring ways. The book, Crucial Conversations, is a good place to start if you're interested. But for this morning, I want to talk about really two tenets, two pillars. If you want to use a mountain climbing image, two footholds. So when we're climbing a mountain, so I hear what we're after are two footholds. Places to put our feet that offer us some stability. Well, I want to offer us two footholds for navigating these types of conversations. The first one is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Because so often when we enter into these crucial conversations, what happens when the emotions are turned up, we shoot first and we ask questions later. And instead of being quick to listen and slow to speak, we argue, we interrupt, we assume motives, we sit there and we formulate what we're going to say next instead of listening. And so these authors, in order to keep the dialogue going, in order to stay connected to the person to whom we are speaking, these authors suggest that we both create a space to contribute to what he calls, what they call, the shared pool of meaning. A shared pool of meaning. This requires listening. This requires us to take off our prosecutor hat and to put on our investigator hat and to genuinely investigate, to, to want to know what the other person is trying to say and how they came to their conclusions, whether we agree with it or not. And so we investigate, we ask questions, we restate what we just heard, we pry, we seek understanding. We attempt to make sure that we're talking about the same thing because communication breakdown happens so often when we're not talking about the same thing. We haven't taken the time or the space to make sure that we're not talking past one another. And so we contribute to that shared pool of meaning. And if the other person is not interested in contributing to that shared pool of meaning, then what are we doing? Why are we wasting our time in a conversation that's going to go nowhere? It's only going to end badly. So that's one foothold, that shared pool of meaning, being an investigator. The second foothold to consider comes out strongly in our sermon passage this morning. It's a continuation of the passage that Kurt read from Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. Now Colossians is one of the short letters there in the middle of the New Testament. So it's Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you hit Thessalonians and Timothy, you've gone too far. So if you want to turn there, just a little basic background. Colossians is a cousin to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. There's a lot of similar things going on there. But in Colossae, there's a, a dangerous philosophy that has infiltrated the church. 
And the people there are grabbing, grabbing a hold of this philosophy. And Paul says, no, 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 no. It's Christ. It's not a teaching. It is a person. That's what we cling to. And this is some practical advice that he gives. So we've asked Hudson Sanders, if he would, to come forward and take us into this passage. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. May God bless the reading of that word. Thank you, Hudson. So, a couple of weeks ago, right after our assembly, we've, we've been saying this passage together to end our assemblies. We're going to do the same thing again today. But I was talking to Sandy Woodrow, and she made a great point. She said, you know, so often our culture, when we talk about salty language, we talk about, we're talking about crude and obscene language. But Paul's talking about using salty language in a different way. And I said, Sandy, you just gave me my next sermon. You gave me my sermon text. So if you don't like the image, blame Sandy. Don't blame me. I, I think it's interesting, though, to recapture that word salty. Uh, so we know how that's used in our culture. So when we're embarrassed about sharing a movie with somebody and the language is a little rough, maybe we should be embarrassed. But we say, hey, this is a great movie, but, uh, you know, the language... Language is a little salty. And, of course, this goes to what Paul is saying earlier in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is a lot like Ephesians. A lot of baptismal language is used there in the new life and how we put away the old self. And one of the things we put away is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. Put away obscene talk from your mouth. So, in talking to the youth group, I know there are some things that have changed in major ways from the time I was in a youth group in the mid-90s. But one thing I bet has not changed is something I heard all the time. It's just words. Bad words. Obscene words. They're just words. So why can't we just use those words? Well, words create something. Words create images in our minds. And one of the things that Paul calls the church to do is to be set apart in our language, in our words, in our talk. But he's not just talking about the words we use. That passage that Hudson read speaks not just of the words, but also of the tone, the manner in which we speak, which really goes to the heart of this series, Crucial Conversations. Hear what he says. Let your speech always... Be gracious, seasoned with salt. There's a tone we're talking about here. And to think about what is salt's purpose, both then and now. What are we talking about? What does salt do? Well, it enhances. And it preserves. It enhances the flavor. It enhances the taste. It enhances the smells. 
It preserves the goodness of the food. And Paul says, as followers of Christ, our words, our words should do the same things to enhance and add flavor to the conversation. And make no mistake about it, we live in a world where the language needs a lot of seasoning. In our society right now, the way people are speaking to one another, it's bitter, it's tasteless. One might even say it's repulsive. So think about the level of conversation that we are bombarded with on a daily basis from the media. Is there a show on television that's not laced with sarcasm and anger and condescension and obscene language? You might have to go back to Little House on the Prairie in the 1970s to find one. Is there a cable news program where people aren't talking past each other, interrupting, shouting talking points for a particular political party? Is there a day that goes by where one side of the political aisle is not launching some vicious attack against the other side, and then the other side launches a vicious attack, and you got this war of words and tweets and memes, and it's a mess. But it's not just the political sphere, it's not just celebrity, it's not just media. It is on the ground. It is one-on-one. -on -one. It's in our daily conversations as well. There is this low-grade anger that is just out there. So a few summers ago, we were with my wife's family, and they had Grandparents' Day at their house down in South Texas. And they had water slides set up and arts and crafts for all the little cousins to run around. And we even had t-shirts. And my wife's maiden name is Bean. And so on the back of this t-shirt it said, Human Bean. They didn't run that past me, by the way. <laughs> but we wore those t-shirts. Fast forward a few weeks after Grandparents' Day, which was a lovely time. We were taking a day trip to Houston. We are coming back on 290, and we stopped at a convenience store, and I just wanted a bottle of water. And I was standing in line, and a sweet older lady was standing behind me. She wasn't sweet, by the way. She was snarky. She said, what's that on the back of your shirt? Are you one of those weird Austin people? Now, I, I can read tone, and if she said that in a tongue-in-cheek way, that would have been a really playful conversation. That wasn't tongue-in-cheek. She was angry. She had a get-out-of-dodge attitude. She didn't even know she was talking to an Aggie, of all things. <laughs> I'm not going to dismiss the weird part, because I was wearing a Grandparents' Day t-shirt three weeks after Grandparents' Day. But she was ready to pounce. I think that's a microcosm of what we're seeing on a societal level. We see it everywhere. We live in a world where the conversation needs a lot of seasoning. And it's not just the words. It's the tone. But when we think about it, that's the way it's always been. That level of conversation is a sign of fallen humanity. It is a sign of the fall. When sin entered this world, 
it became embodied in many different ways, but especially the way we speak. Think about the dividing lines between us, the enmity between us. And then think about the vice list that, that Paul lists in his letters. Anger, malice, rage, gossip, slander, tribalism, posturing, pride. How much of that goes back to speech? There's a reason why there's so much instruction in the Old Testament and in the New Testament about the way we use our words, and especially in Ephesians and then our sermon passage, Colossians. Paul recognized in his time what we recognize today, that the way we speak to one another is really the beginning of our witness to the world. So notice that Paul's instructions there in Colossians chapter 4 when he's talking about how we are to be gracious in our speech, that really is a witness passage. He calls on the church to pray for his witness. Pray that God would open a door of opportunity for the gospel for him wherever he was going. Paul knows and understands that, that God is the chief actor in the play when it comes to connecting the church to people who are hungry for the gospel. And if you're here this morning and you haven't been in church for a while, but you're hungry for the gospel, that's... God's activity, in whatever mysterious way God works, God is calling us together. But Paul continues that prayer. He continues in verse 4, Pray that I will speak the words clearly, which is how I ought to speak. Paul has in mind here the proclamation of the gospel toward outsiders, and it's out of that prayer request that he gives some instructions to the church. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Making the best use of time. And let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And this is the second foothold. So on the one hand, we, we contribute to a shared pool of meaning. But on the other hand, they're actually hand in hand. Every encounter that we have, every conversation that we have is an opportunity for witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way we use our speech is a window into the gospel. Well, as we close this morning, we have the opportunity to prepare ourselves for what is coming down the road like a freight train. Do you see the headlights? It's getting bigger and bigger. Decision 2020. Election 2020. The Democratic primary debates begin in less than a month to see who is going to run against President Donald Trump. And if it's anything like 2016, it's going to be ugly. And not just in the personal interactions in society, but even as an extension of our speech, our social media, our public presence. It's about to get ugly. It already is ugly. But think about it nine, ten months down the road. We're going to have a society that once again is going to go down to the gutter. Both sides. And then we hear the words of Paul from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Telling the church, 
Don't participate in that. Stay out of the gutter. The world needs the church to stay out of the gutter when it comes to our language, when it comes to our speech. What Paul is telling us here is, really, he's reminding us of our number one priority. Our number one priority is not to win the political argument. Because even if we win, we can lose. Our number one priority is not to win the argument. It is to win souls. It is to be a witness to the redemptive power of our Lord Jesus Christ who is on the throne at the right hand of God. We live in politically divisive times. And in this church, we have the whole spectrum. Red, blue, purple, libertarian, socialist, free market. And yet we are one. And we are one because we refuse to play the game of a fallen world. We know where the center of the center is, and we're not going to find our unity by sitting around tables arguing over left and right. We find our unity at this table, right here, at the foot of the cross, where we announce week after week that Jesus the Christ is Lord. And so a question for us to ponder this morning is do our conversations reflect that conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord? Or is our language and our social media posts riddled with anger and sarcasm and anxiety and division? It's not that we don't hold political conviction. I hold political convictions. It's not that we don't speak the truth to people. But our foothold is that mindset that we are witnesses above everything else. We're witnesses to the gospel. So instead of cutting someone off at the pass and interrupting and making sure our point gets across, instead of posting the meme or the snide comment broadcasted in the public sphere, Maybe consider a private message. Or better yet, invite someone over for coffee and put on the investigator hat and ask questions and inquire and preserve our witness of the good news. Let us live a life worthy of the calling in which we've been called. And in everything, in word, in deed, but especially in word, to do all things in the name of the Lord as a witness to the transformative power of the cross and the empty tomb, especially in the way that we speak to one another. Well, this is difficult. And if we were left on our own, it would be an impossible task, but we're not alone. We're going to sing an invitation song now that talks about how we try to walk 
in the steps of the Savior. We try to walk in the light. Think about the disciples there in the garden, and Jesus says, stay awake with me, pray with me, and they couldn't do it. They fell asleep, and there are times when we fall asleep. But we have the opportunity to wake up by the power of God working in us, creating in us what we ought to be. We join in with what God is doing among us as a witness to the world. If you've fallen asleep this morning, we have the opportunity to respond. If you'd like to respond to the good news of the Lord Jesus in any way this morning, if you would like to be baptized, we can accommodate for that. If you'd like to place membership, come and talk to me. I'd like to talk to you about that. If, you look, if we've already had that conversation and you would like to join in with what God is doing here among us at Brentwood Oaks, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.